Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. If you're learning a foreign language, well, you're in the right place. There's lots of very exciting stuff coming up in the next couple of months, including some brand new short story books in languages such as Turkish, Icelandic, Norwegian, Dutch. I'm going to yeah, be prepared to be, uh, to be, uh, well, be prepared to be impressed by the diversity of new languages that we're putting out. We've got, I think it's 10 new languages coming out in the short story books, plus an intermediate series, which will be out very soon. So lots of really great things coming the podcast and a lot of my content in general, actually, I think is going to be changing up over the next um, month or two. I'm always con- continually looking for better ways to uh, to to serve you guys, to um, to help to create content that, that that's meaningful and matters and that you enjoy. And uh, you know, I, I kind of struggle sometimes to know how best to do that across the different channels, like the blog and the podcast and my YouTube channel, all of that stuff. So I'll fill you in on that. Um, as we uh, as we progress, but today I thought I would do something that I quite enjoy doing from time to time, which is actually playing to you an interview I did on an, on, on uh, another podcast, and um, it was really good. And uh, I I would only <laughs> I dare say I would only ever put on my podcast um, if I was if I'm going to put an interview that I did somewhere else, and I'm going to broadcast it here. I'm only going to do it if it's good. And I thought this was particularly good. And then the reason is. Because it's a different angle, and this is what I always tr- usually try to do with these things. Whenever I sort of rebroadcast an interview, I try to think to myself, right, well, what is what's fresh here? What is something that you guys haven't heard before? And this is an interview that I did on the Tefology podcast. Tefology is a really cool name, and as you might guess from the from, from the name, uh, it is all about Tefol. These guys are Tefol experts. They're actually interestingly enough. I used to um, so that the 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 hosts of the podcast. Two Matt and a Rob, and uh, one Matt I just met recently, but the other two, the other Matt and Rob, they, they're old friends of mine f- from my Tokyo days. We used to work together in various, various. In fact, Matt and Rob, my very first teaching job, I used to work with Matt and Rob when I was teaching English in Japan for the very first time, right back at the beginning of when I really kind of started teaching languages. Anyway, these guys are, they are kind of they kind of do for the TEFL world what I try to do for the, for the language learning world. And they're absolutely fantastic. And they, um, I met up with Matt recently in Tokyo and he invited me onto his podcast. And the reason that this interview was good or at least interesting, I think is because these guys are really into, um, into the TEFL world, right? They are, they are extremely good at what they do and they come at this whole, uh, the whole language thing through a teaching lens. Um, and they go very deep on that side of things. And it's a big kind of professional world that and that is a world that's quite different quite far removed from the so-called polyglot or language learning community these things don't tend to mix very much and i talked about this when i interviewed uh stephen Krashen not so long ago uh actually it was it was a couple of years ago now but anyway it's it's curious and i th- i think that the sort of professional teaching industries tend to view the language learning communities and the polyglot community with a certain degree of skepticism um, and healthy skepticism, I think, because I think because it's like largely it's, it's it's more of a kind of social phenomenon, you know. It's people that just kind of like learning languages. It's not well documented. It's not well understood. And so I think for for, for teachers and, and academics, this is it's something that's kind of difficult to 
understand, difficult to quantify. And so th- this interview on the Teflology podcast, Matt did a really good job of trying to sort of understand the, let's call it the polyglot community for the sake of uh, the sake of convenience. Um, ha- he did a really good job of sort of, of, of asking me a- about this language learning phenomenon and the kind of polyglot community and what it is to what it means to learn lots of languages like as a as a personal pursuit and we also talked about a little bit about how i sort of transitioned from teaching to uh to to actually starting up my own website and um and and creating a business from it and and all all of that stuff so a very wide-ranging interview from the perspective of people who work in the tefl industry so that i know for many of you will be of interest so i'm going to play you the full interview here today. Before we get into that, I would like to thank the sponsors of the show, the wonderful italki. And italki is the best, most convenient place to find language lessons on the internet. You can take lessons over Skype with a huge array of different teachers to choose from. And if you'd like to get a free lesson, you can go to iwillteachyoualanguage.com forward slash free lesson. Lastly, if you do enjoy the interview today, then I encourage you to go and follow Matt's and uh, Matt, Matt and Rob, Matt's and Rob um, over on the Teflology podcast, because if you are into teaching, then these guys um, are the real deal. And I, I, they're, 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 they're fantastic. And I encourage you to go and search them out on your podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. So anyway, without any further ado, here is an interview with a certain Ollie Richards on the Teflology podcast. Please enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Teflology podcast, a podcast all about teaching English as a foreign language and related matters. This episode features an interview with Ollie Richards. Ollie is the founder of I Will Teach You a Language, an online resource that offers courses for learning a range of languages, including French, Portuguese, Russian, and Japanese, through a variety of techniques, including audio and video clips, short stories written by Ollie, and targeted learning strategies. Ollie has himself learned eight languages and is featured in newspaper articles and a BBC documentary about polyglots. He has worked in Japan and Egypt, among other countries, as a language teacher, and is now based in London. Ollie recently visited Tokyo, which is where Matt met him for a chat. Enjoy. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Ollie Richards. Um, We're in Ollie's hotel room, Um, full disclosure. (laughs) Um, Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks for coming all the way here so I didn't have to go out. (laughs) So um, a little bit of a background first. Um, yeah. Ollie and I used to work together about 10 or 11 years ago now. Yeah, 10 years ago, I think. Give in, or take. In a, in a conversation school or an yeah. Eikaiwa school, as, as we call them in Japan. Um, since then, you've moved into a kind of a different area of the field. Um, so maybe first, could you tell us about these changes that have developed since we, since we kind of last saw each other, really, and the line of work you're involved with now? Yeah, so, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll just give a bit of an overview goes back a little bit further than that because I'd always been interested in languages mm-hmm. uh, I didn't do languages at, at school or at university or anything but I'd always enjoyed sort of um, you know meeting people especially in London where, where I lived and learning that learning different languages um, it was always been like a, like a hobby you know and um, and then when I was in my late 20s I decided to come to Tokyo to teach English it was a bit of a change in direction and so that's where we met in mm-hmm. the in the in the Eikaiwa here and then stayed here in Japan for a few years teaching. Went down the, you know, serious 
Tefala path, you know, did my mm-hmm. Delta and did my Masters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then I then I started moving around to different places around the world with uh, with with new jobs, mm-hmm. moved into management, teacher training, stuff like that, and then um, around the same time, I kind of I think the way that I see it now, and I don't know if this is narrative fallacy or, or not, but when I look back on it, I think when I moved into management, I missed the creativity of teaching, mm-hmm. and so I started blogging about about. Uh, about languages on the side, sort of evening and weekends. Mm-hmm. And not about TEFL as such, but it was kind of, I took the knowledge of teaching and TEFL in general that I'd got from my work and applied that to what was always my passion, which was actually learning languages. Yeah. So kind of blogging about learning languages through the lens of, of teaching. And then that blog went on and kind of grew and grew. And then, um, and then I, I basically turned it into a, into a business where now we we write books, we make courses, and um, and just talk about all things to do with language learning. Right. Okay. Great. And we'll, we'll kind of move on to that side of things later. But yeah. um, let's focus on the the language learning background first. So sure. um, so firstly, what languages would you say you're proficient at to to different levels? Proficient to different levels. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, well. So I, I've learned. I've studied ten languages overall. And mm-hmm. some of those I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, they were kind of quick projects. But languages that I speak pretty well, meaning I could quite happily sit down in the pub and have a conversation, in would be French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Japanese, Cantonese. Right, okay. And then uh, beyond that, I've learned some Arabic, some Thai, some German, a bit of Korean. Um, but those are all kind of all over the shop yeah. in, terms of, <clears throat> in, terms of, in terms of proficiency. Right. So... so um. In terms of proficiency, I guess you have more of a kind of a conversational representation of proficiency. I, th- I think I, you know these things like fluency. Like what's fluency? You, I, mm-hmm. I, I, the way I see it, you can be fluent at all different levels. You can be fluent at A one, if depending on yeah. the yeah. On, on the on the range of what you're talking about. You know, I mean, I've seen people with an A one level, but who are good at picking up accents and memorizing phrases walk into a restaurant and have the way to think that they are native speakers mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. you know fluency is a kind of uh, it's a moving it's a moving target mm-hmm. um proficiency i mean my my aim with languages has always been to um be able to sit down and have a drink with someone and have them not have to strain or basically they, having them want to be there if someone's actually yeah. happy yeah. being there having a chat with me in that language that's my kind of goalpost. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's yeah. the the benchmark. You know, I'm happy when I get to that level. With um, with a number of those languages, I've kind of moved, got you know, considerably more advanced than that. And then others are at that level. Others are, are yeah. less. Yeah. And yeah. and it changes over time as well because now I, I live in London and I don't get to use these languages mm-hmm. a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And so, you know, it's always a at any one point in time, every, everything's always yeah, at different yeah. different spots. Yeah. So when did you? Use- kind of first realized that you might be a successful language learner when, when did you kind of realize you had maybe you had something that others don't perhaps or yeah and that thing i think is just interest in mm. in, in learning and uh you know most people that grow up where i grew up just don't have much interest in the rest of the world at all let alone learning languages but i moved to london i went to music college i was surrounded by this international atmosphere um, i met people from all over the world and I just, for some reason, I, I can't really explain why it is, but I wanted to, um, I just wanted to be able to talk to them. I, I, mm. I started to get this little feeling of, um, of being, I didn't want to come across as this monolingual, typical 
Brit who didn't speak yeah. a word of any yeah. other language. And that kind of bugged me mm. to the point where I thought, you know what, I'm going to sit down and learn French now. Mm. And, um, and so that kind of motivation spurred me on. And then I, I went and spent a bit of time in Paris a, a few months and, you know, worked really hard, spoke a lot and got quite good at French. And then I think that was the key moment because I realized actually, you know, I can't, you can do this. You know, if you want to learn another language, you, you can. Yeah. And then, so when I went back to London after, after Paris, I made friends from like with Brazilians, with Spanish, and then with each new kind of social group that I, that I discovered, mm-hmm. if you like, I, um, I just really made an effort to learn the language. Yeah. And I think with the confidence that I got from that point, it, I kind of knew that I could, could do it. Right. I see. So we, I mean, this is kind of a very new thing for our podcast because we, we focus pretty much solely on the teaching aspect of things. And this is yeah. kind of the first time we've moved into actually speaking to a successful language learner. Um, and we use the term polyglot. Yeah. And we may have already introduced that in our introduction. But, um, well, firstly, would you consider yourself a polyglot? And what what does it mean? Because there's a lot of different kind of definitions out yeah, there. Yeah, I really, really dislike the word. Okay. Um, although, funnily enough, I mean, polyglot is actually a... a it's it's a daily word in yeah. lots of languages. Yeah. It's just not in English. It sounds very pretentious in English. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. In, yeah. in terms of yeah. definitions, I've, definitions I've seen are someone who can use. Um, I mean, some people say three. Some people say four. I think you know pe- from what I, from other people that I know, people start to call refer to polyglots as speaking four or more languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it's not. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. like to put a stake in the ground there. But yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it's someone who can, in my opinion, if I had to give a definition, I'd say it's someone who can, yeah, you know, successfully and proficiently use at least four languages. Four languages. Yeah. Okay. Hyperpolyglot. <laughs> Hyperpolyglot. It's Again, it's, it's a similar similar moving target, but you know, ten or more ten languages or more. Okay, well, seems okay. to be you know about more or less where people um, wow. put it. And um, I guess like the internet, like all kind of recent developments in the internet have kind of brought about a new kind of. Um, polyglot would you say like an internet kind of somebody who uses the internet to to kind of talk about their languages is yeah that, is that a different side of it? i think I, I see that as you know the same way that the internet's changed everything it's like yeah. what is yeah. social media is 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 social media changing us or were we always like that anyway we just didn't have an outlet mm. to behave mm. in that way mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. I, I think you know polyglots really worldwide are, are the norm. I mean, if you walk into any given village in India, you know, chances are that you'll find someone who speaks two or three languages. Yeah. You know, multilingualism yeah. is not, is, is, is not a rare thing at all. Mm. I think it's just that with the, what I've noticed among my friends who, who are kind of in this scene, it's that when YouTube came along in particular, it kind of gave the, people around various people around the world who were into language learning who enjoyed learning languages it made them realize hang on i'm, I'm not the only person that likes this stuff and so it bring it creates this sense of community where where mm. one didn't exist before and this this started to really come up in you know in 2010 mm-hmm. around that okay. time you know give or take a couple of years right. now since that time it's developed and now like you've just you can't you can't swing a cat without hitting a language <laughs> blog or a youtube yeah. channel or something so it's always changing um, but there is certainly there is certainly this phenomenon of what I've heard people call like YouTube polyglots or internet mm, polyglots. Mm. Yeah, yeah, these are all kind of labels which are 
you know, kind of convenient when we're trying to understand the way that technology is changing and the world is changing. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's like, I, I don't like any of these labels myself. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I mean, what kind of what kind of reactions do you get when you, you probably don't do this, but when you say, I'm polyglot, or yeah. what, what kind of, what's the general reaction or kind of... Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I tend never to say that. Although now someone's going to find an example of me saying that somewhere, but um, we'll just drop I mean, this you, in. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. I mean, a question. You know, when I, you know, when you go around, when you when you travel, when you meet people, and when you speak to them in other languages, there's an inevitable question that comes up, which is, oh, so do you, do you speak that language? Okay, cool. Do you speak any other languages? And it's like. You know, you don't want to lie, but then at the same time, you don't want to say, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm a polyglot. I speak however many languages." Mm. But the, so that topic of conversation <clears throat> inevitably comes up, and then, and then um, mm. it's just I don't know. The way I like to think about it is that you know, some people play football. I always yeah. like to learn languages. I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just how I kind of spend my time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah. I guess it's um, it's not something that I like to scream from the rooftops. But by the same token, now that my the, the business I've created has kind of you know, grown off the back of that. It's, uh, yeah. you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later on. Um, in terms of like some of the, cause there's, I mean, I heard this from you the other day that there's, there's kind of conferences or, or gatherings of, of language learners or, or to use the term polyglots. Um, do a lot of people come from a teaching background or would you say there's not a great deal of people? Yeah, no, a lot of people are teachers. Um, so there are, yes, yeah, so there's a number of different, I mean, there's lots of language conferences around the world. There are three or four who that are particularly focused on, um, uh, you know, pe- language learners, people that like learning mm-hmm. languages. And you, I, oft- I often meet in those, in those events, um, teachers, they will, they might have their own language school. They might teach on online on italki or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then in, in Langfest, which is a, an event in Montreal, there were lots and lots of state school teachers from the US as well, mm. um, who are really, really interested in um, in professional development. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, these these worlds are kind of starting to cross over a little bit, a little mm. bit more. Mm. And of course, a lot of language teachers are also, they teach languages because they like languages and they're language learners themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So there is more and more of a development. But it, I think it's still, a, it's still the case that, you know, most people... If you were if you were going to stop someone on the street and say you know have you heard about internet polyglots or something they wouldn't have a clue. No. So this this world is largely unknown, I think, still despite despite the size of, uh, of right. the, of the I activity. See. I see. Yeah. yeah. So you've um you've always been learning languages, I guess. Always, yeah. Since a young age. Um. Well, since nineteen, I started when I was nineteen. Okay. So like, okay, started learning more kind of with an effort to learn languages you mean yeah because I, you know I have, I have friends who grew up with four languages mm-hmm. at home right you know so and this is quite common in london you know you get someone with a polish mother spanish father yeah in, yeah. in london so they yeah. grow up speaking three languages from right. from birth i think one of the one of the in terms of what i do now i think one of the advantages mm-hmm. i've actually got is that i kind of because i started quite late i didn't have a crutch to lean on in terms of you know, I, I grew up with mm-hmm. French or something, so see, it's yeah. you know, so so of course I, I can speak. I had to really work quite hard to learn the, the languages. Yeah, but I think that yeah. I feel like it gave gave me a bit of an, quite an appreciation for what it's like to try to learn a language as an adult who hasn't got mm-hmm. a background in language learning. Yeah, and that's 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 a different that's a distinction that a lot of people who are new to language learning make because mm-hmm. there is you know there's a lot of myths and assumptions out there. One of which is. The only you know, only kids can learn languages to a high level. Mm. 
but that's yeah, that's a different rabbit hole. So what I, what I was going to ask on that matter is how has your your approach to language learning changed over the years, like from when you were a nineteen year old to to now? Do you do things yeah. differently, or it's it's funny because I I, I have this kind of what feels like a tension between what I actually do and how I like and how I sort of seek to explain that when I'm when I'm writing about language learning. I think um, when when I look back over the languages I've learned really well, the, the commonality is always massive amounts of exposure. Mm. So I, I would often do things like language exchanges where I would sit down with I'd find an, a one, two, three people who were who were learning English and I or, or another language, and then I, we would meet regularly and spend. <laughs> you know, hours every week, uh, speaking that, speaking that language. And so I've always kind of sought out direct contact Mm -hmm. with the language more than, you know, sitting at home and studying books and things. I mean, there is some of that as well, but I, I find that, um, you know, there there really is a, a big, there's a, there's a gap between stuff that you learn by yourself with a book and then, what happens when you apply that to the real world and you've got to be applying what you learn in the real world. Otherwise you never bridge the gap to, to being able to actually use language with confidence. Yeah. Yeah. The confidence coming from experience. Um, and so I, I've never been particularly kind of studious. I don't really like sitting, studying language books for, for hours in my room. So my kind of alternative to that has always been, well, I'm just going to go out and find people that I mm. like and talk mm. to them until yeah. I know the language. I mean, in a nutshell, that's it. Um, it. That's changing a bit now because, you know, I'm older, different circumstances. I can't be going out all the time, just mm-hmm. doing language exchanges and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. now I tend to, I still do that, but I tend to have, I tend to focus more on a, on a sort of input, uh, large amounts of, of input through listening and reading. I see. Yeah. And because um, one way or another, you've got to get that input. You can't study your you can't study your way up to proficiency in a language. You've got to it has to it has to be primarily based on input, and then because that gives you your knowledge, it sows the seeds, and then spoken fluency kind of emerges out of that. Mm-hmm. That that's how I look at it in a, in a very yeah, kind of broad yeah. brushstrokes. Yeah. Okay, so you, you mentioned a lot of having a lot of input. Do, yeah. you, do you often find that you you don't have enough? I mean, you're living in London now, so I guess London is a city where you can speak any kind of language you want to. You can, yeah. Are you are you are you finding that you have enough chances to to have to have that interaction, that kind of that output? I guess with with all the things that are going in. Well, that's. I mean, it all comes down to the opportunities that you create, and it, there's no question that in London you have all the opportunities you could possibly want for speaking languages. But at the end of the day, you still got to make the opportunity to go out. If you just sit at home, it doesn't happen, you know. So you you still have to. You know, you still have to meet people. You have to go to places. You have to create these opportunities. And I think that the biggest challenge that I have sort of on an ongoing basis is just f- making the time to do that. Yeah. I try not to say finding the time because the time's always there. It's just a question of how you prioritize it. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now with like family commitments, work commitments, that is, is, is kind of pretty tough. And so recently I've just been focusing on one language because that's just, it's as much as I can do to even, yeah. To, yeah. you know, to yeah. even focus on that. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, and also when when I look back on, because I learned a lot of my good languages when I was a lot younger, and that was also a time in my life when I had the right environment. You know, I was a student, I had nothing to do, mm-hmm. and um, I could just hang out for days on end with with friends speaking different languages. That's quite a unique opportunity, I think, and it's not easy to to replicate right, at different yeah. points in your life. You know? Yeah, yeah. How I mean, in terms of 
in air quotes, maintaining a language. Um, Do you find that some of your languages you can easily switch into when needed or when called upon and others you need to kind of work back up to, I guess? Yeah, so it's it's different with different languages and depends on how long I go for without speaking those languages. But I mean, the way that I think, the the way that I break this down is that once you've got a language to a B2 level, give or take, you're never going to forget it. The worst that happens is it gets a bit rusty. And then that comes back usually with 15 minutes, half an hour of, of mm. conversation. Right, right. Um, right. So, you know, often if someone, if, I, if, if, if someone starts talking to me in Italian or something, which is a bit rusty at this point, like I would be kind of fumbling along for a few minutes and then they would kind of quickly come back. Um, so the, the real the real question is whether the, I've got that language to a B2 level or not at some point in the past, then it will come back. I find that with languages like, like when I was living in Egypt, I, I was learning Arabic and I got to a sort of, you know, A2 sort of level. I lost that very quickly after leaving Egypt mm. because it just wasn't, it wasn't hardwired enough into my, into my brain, you know? So I think those languages, I haven't really got to a good level. Those are pretty much I don't think languages are ever gone I think you can always get them back but you know if if you haven't got up to that kind of B2 level it's you have to kind of restudy them relearn mm-hmm. them as it were and then my strongest languages um so Spanish Portuguese in particular those never really seem to right to okay. drop because I, I use them fairly frequently and mm-hmm. um and they're, they're stronger than my others so mm. um so yeah Okay. Um, you're you're using like the 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 CEFR, the CEFR framework yes. to um talk about your language proficiency. Yeah. Do do a lot of polyglots do the same thing? Or so the, is that the, your teaching? The polyglot kind of? community, again, as it's known, referring if we refer to this kind of internet polyglot community sort of thing, uh, it's very Eurocentric. Okay. So yes, the CEFR is the most common mm-hmm. common frame of reference. I see. Okay. Again, sorry to keep using this term polyglots, but do do different kind of people out there have different kind of priorities, such as um, fluency, speaking fluently, um, declarative knowledge? Is there a kind of a common kind of themes with with certain individuals? Yeah, very, very much. But uh, but I think again, this the, 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 I think the key point here is that most polyglots in the world you'll never find on YouTube or on the internet. They're just kind of going about their lives living, living those languages. Yeah. So I, I meet people all the time who, who are fantastic linguists but never do anything with it in terms of writing about it or anything. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, so some, some people will you know, I know people who move from country to country and always learn their languages to a very high level. Other people, I've got friends who you know, one friend in particular I'm thinking of who's who must know, I don't know, 12, 15 languages or so by now. Wow. But that's probably, but they're probably mostly got an A2, B1 sort of level. So mm-hmm. he can speak them, but mm-hmm. to a point, okay. you know. Okay. And then, but, but his main goal is to learn, he wanted to learn like 10 languages by the time he was 30 or something like that. So, so you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see. Everyone's yeah. different. And I, I, I just like to think that for most people, languages are, you know, there's something that are meaningful in your life. It's not, it's, it's, Definitely the vast minority of people who kind of collect languages or have a tally. Yeah, yeah. You know, most people, they, they learn it for a, for a very personal or, or instrumental reason. Mm, Do you find that, like, people on the outside, people, like, for example, my parents who, although my mum can speak Swedish, actually, 
they're very much on the outside of this kind of the 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 language teaching and learning world um when when you kind of tell people that you can speak a few different languages do do you feel that they automatically assume that you're completely knowledgeable in everything about that language well because yeah, the, the classic response the classic that. response is that oh are you fluent yeah that's, so someone that's says do you speak common, spanish so yeah. like yeah are you fluent and then like that's that's um that's a very difficult question to answer because mm-hmm. like, yeah i mean there is this i guess the kind of lay assumption is that if you speak a language you're either completely like native like or else you can't speak it yeah yeah and i think that comes from the fact that most people who learn languages just don't get very far so mm-hmm. you, you don't know what's on the other side yeah i see yeah um something we were kind of we were talking about this the other day actually and um it got me wondering like to what extent does like personality influence all of this um for example i think we were we were talking about comedy the other day yeah and i, I think i mentioned that i tried it once and you said that you given enough time and effort you could probably do it as well probably better than me um so what what extent do you think having confidence kind of underpins all of this what what, what you're doing yeah i mean cause what you're talking about there is yeah we, so yeah we were, so we were talking about comedy and and i was just to give people a bit of context so you know i was saying that i'm terrified of the thought of getting up on a stage and having to do stand-up comedy it terrifies me to the, to the core you know <laughs> but because of that it's something that i think why well, you know, if i could learn to do that that, yeah. would, be, that yeah. could be life-changing in terms of confidence and getting outside your comfort zone and stuff like that um but i think like as but i i do have this strange kind of confidence that i could learn to do it given enough time mm-hmm. because i've everything that i've seen i mean it just in general whether in any area of life it's like if you if you just do something for long enough and you stick at it and you're consistent that's 80 percent of the, of, of the game mm. so i think anything you can you can learn to do if you've got the right kind of combination of motivation and um an environment and and uh, potentially you know mentorship or, or help as well um and so like with languages confidence I mean, there's a couple of different kinds of confidence. There's confidence with people, I think, confidence socially, and that obviously plays into language learning because you know if you're too, if you if you, yeah. if you have anxiety, social anxiety, yeah. then it can be very difficult to ever get any mm. any speaking practice when you're when you're learning. So I have that in some ways. I think in other ways I I don't. Um, it's interesting being in in in, in Japan where we're where we're recording this right now because I'm always reminded when I come here how kind of social norms that we're used to back home just don't tend to apply here mm. and they're all, or at least they're very very different mm-hmm. and so I'm, i always kind of run into this interesting i'm always reminded when i come here that you can't just say things the way that you want to say them you've got to take into account how you're supposed to behave in front of people and, and, mm. and strangers mm. and stuff like that so you probably got used to it now after after 10 years here but you know right. but leave, yeah. like going and coming back here it's a it always reminds me how much like how much language learning has an element of theatre, just like language teaching. Because we were talking about this as well yeah, the other yeah, day. You know, the yeah. ability to stand in front of somebody and be able to say something and try and get your point across, even though you know you're making mistakes and you feel a little bit awkward. Mm-hmm. That's a, a huge factor in um, in in getting enough practice at a language to become good at it. And then there's the confidence of knowing that you can do something. So the confidence of knowing, okay, if I stick at this for long enough. I can learn the language, and that I guess is something that just comes from 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 experience. Like when I first set about learning French, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no mm-hmm. idea if I could do it. And um, but but once I had this experience of being in 
I mean, particular in particular being in Paris and having French friends and existing in French for a certain period of time. There's no kind of logical reason after that that I couldn't go on to learn any other language. Yeah, given the right set of okay. uh, of circumstances. Right. So I, th- I think I think it is important, and you know, doing what I do now, I, you know, I meet a lot of people who are who are learning languages and trying to figure out how it's done. And confidence, I think, is a huge reason why people struggle mm. because that that just it's like a it's like a soundtrack. If you've got a lack of confidence, it's like a soundtrack that's playing in the background. And whenever you're studying and you you're studying a grammar rule or trying to learn a word or trying to summon up drum up the confidence to go and speak to somebody and practice your language if, if there's a little you know if, if some, in the back of your mind if you're thinking to yourself well i'm not sure i can do this that's you know that's that can be quite a handicap mm. and you and you okay. definitely have to work at, at getting over that yeah i see yeah so it's kind of related to personality i guess is is maybe the idea of identity or when you're speaking in L, in an l2 or a foreign language, even to use, <laughs> you, you often um, kind of maybe you imagine you have some kind of L two identity, some L two self, um, kind of as as a person who speaks many different languages. Do, yeah. you, do you kind of feel that you go into a certain identity? Very much. Do you, I mean, very much. Can, so. you, can you describe that if possible? Like, it's hard, I think it's hard yeah, it's, it's a very common question. This actually, and I never know quite how to talk about it. But I think the, the best way to describe it is that. If you have so when you learn a, uh, when you spend a lot of time learning a language, you often imitate certain people who you learn from or who you want to be like. So you know when I learned Spanish, for example, I had one very strong influence in my Spanish, which was my best friend um, in London at the time, Tomas, who who only spoke to me in Spanish for like two years, mm. and I kind of developed my personality in Spanish, or, or rather the Spanish that I learned was heavily influenced by the words and phrases that he used and how he spoke. So inevitably when I spoke Spanish, at least at the beginning, because I'll be using the language that he tends to use, there's a lot of personality tied up in that mm. and his sense of humor and, and stuff like that. So I would really adopt that. And even now when I, when I, when I speak Spanish, I definitely instantly when Spanish comes out of my mouth, I, I feel a very, it's like in my, in my mind, like I have this tightening of focus as like I say things very directly and, there's no, there's there's not much of a kind of politeness filter mm-hmm. as we'd have mm-hmm. in English or Japanese, for example, and so that really does, you know, to the extent that language influences thought, and mm-hmm. you know, does language influence thought, or does thought influence language, and mm-hmm. and at what level, how does that play out at different levels of proficiency? Um, so, I mean. Brazilian Portuguese is another very strong example because Brazilians have such a strong personality. Everything is always so happy and fun, and uh, yeah. and there's so much camaraderie and stuff. And and so you you know you can't if if you if you go to Brazil and you speak to people the same way that you'd speak to someone here in Japan, it doesn't it doesn't work, you know, because you're in Brazil. You've got to be happy all the time and. And here you have to be very respectful. I'm exaggerating, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Sure, but, sure. but you know you have to adopt a certain kind of personality to to um, to get by. It's like Arabic; you've got to be very very direct and to the point. And um, s- similar thing in Cantonese. One of the things I had to get my head around in Cantonese is how people are always just joking and taking the piss the whole time. And you've got to kind of get used to that and and not you know learn to learn to just to talk with that frame of mind and that mentality and um so i think it, yeah it, it's it's very difficult to to keep the same one kind of base personality 
mm. and, uh, and and not have that change when you're speaking different languages. I, c- I came across like a, a video by someone who um, said that, that it was, I can't remember where it was exactly, and it may have even been Matt that was talking about it, actually. Hello, Matt, over there. <laughs> like the fourth wall. <laughs> um, about this guy, who, I think he said he went to Malta, and he, it was his goal to to learn Maltese within a couple of weeks. Um, I think I, I think I read that article as well. Do you yeah. do you think that you need a, a kind of a history or a, a background in that in the the target culture of that language, or do you think you can go in cold and get what you need? And you oh, you can you go need... you can go in cold for sure. I mean, the thing is, in a couple of weeks, you can't learn much, right? No. no, no so well. the best you can hope for in two weeks of learning a new language is to be able to interact at a basic level. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, you can ask questions, you can describe simple things, you can maybe interact in a restaurant or a shop or something like that. That, you know, that's, unless you have real superhuman powers, that's as much as you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I actually did a, 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 like a mini documentary a few years ago when I went to Thailand and I spent two weeks in Thailand and studied Thai intensively. And I filmed the whole thing and put it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and you can kind of follow the, the evolution of like my first, my first day when I just knew a few words to the end of the two weeks, and I had a I recorded a thirty minute conversation in Thai with my oh, with right, my okay. with my Thai teacher, oh. and um and you know but but what that is to to really simplify it, it's basically storing a lot of uh, a lot of patterns and individual words in your short term memory, yeah, and then yeah. learning to manipulate those. To get your point across, mm-hmm. you know that that's that's it really. And then you know depth and nuance comes over over the over years after after that. So you you probably won't be able to return to that tie that thirty minute conversation right now. Yeah, no way. Okay, no, so this was, was like, this, it was kind of a short to next. Yeah. yeah, and 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 then this, this is the interesting thing because in the, so in those two weeks, uh, I, you know, I got really far, and and you know, it's, and it's kind of there on film. So there's, there's no, it is what it is. You know, it's kind of captured there, um, and. If I, I often think about that. I think, well, you know, what what would have happened if I'd stayed there and kept up that level of uh, of study for mm. for three years, which would take us to now? I, I imagine I'd be pretty damn good at Thai by now, but I but I didn't, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to either. And that's, and you know, I have other things to do. So, you know, yeah. it, it's it's it, that's why so much of it comes mm-hmm. down to. Um, but it's 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 so much of it comes down to hard work and the time that you've got mm-hmm. available to yeah to put towards it. I see. Changing um, topic slightly. Yeah. Um, a question that is continuously being asked, and I think it's something that you you addressed recently on your YouTube channel, mm-hmm. is uh, it's whether language teachers are required to be successful language learners, uh-huh. or at least have some background in language learning. Um, mm-hmm. So you've kind of experienced both of these roles, I yeah. guess, and maybe still have exist with both of those roles now. So what's your position on this? What would you say? How would you answer that question? Yeah, I guess it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think you know. We, we all know extremely good teachers who are not language learners themselves, mm. um, and so you can become a, obviously you can be you can be a highly uh, effective teacher. I think um, through learning the trade of teaching and by mm. you know observing your paying close attention to your students and how they learn over time, you get very good at um, at managing students and, and managing the learning environment. I, I do think that's quite different from the experience of actually learning a language yourself though, because there is, um, there's lots, lots of different things going on here, but I think it's, it's such a, so, so much, it's such a long journey learning a language. So much happens. You've got to go through so much stuff. 
And if you're if you're teaching students that have yet to go through that journey, I think it's uh, there's there's something there's something missing there if you haven't been through that yourself. Uh, but it, but it's difficult because I, I I wouldn't like to say that that you can't teach unless you speak other languages because mm-hmm. that's obviously not the case. Yeah. Uh, but I you know I certainly with with what I do I think a lot of a lot of the what people sort of turn to me for and ask me about it's it's never really about oh I don't understand how to use the, uh, the different forms of the past tense in Spanish it's like man I can't find the time mm. I, I can't keep my motivation up but like, what do I do and these are these are actually the big questions that really determine whether or not you're successful at a language is how do you manage your time uh, and so I think for a, for a, for a teacher you 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 kind of got this this role as a as a counselor almost or you're certainly lending a lot of moral support and giving a lot of encouragement and there's there's something that doesn't quite stack up for me if you're kind of if you if you're in a position of giving that that advice and, and mentoring and supporting students on that particular emotional psychological journey and you haven't actually been through it yourself so I think uh, you know basically there is a lot to be added a lot of added value there if you have experience learning learning languages yourself it's it's quite interesting it's kind of in some ways it's kind of the elephant in the room amongst my kind of language teaching peers we never really talk about our own language learning and even like with my it's curiously um absent isn't it that yeah yeah topic yeah and even with my learners they never seem to um I think they just assume that because I'm teaching in Japan, I think they assume that I can just speak Japanese or maybe they assume the complete opposite as well. But it never, it never forms a massive part of my teaching. I would say at the moment, do you ever question the, uh, the sort of um, maxim of what all language teaching should be in the L2? Also as in like, you know, you, if you're, if you're teaching English, the classroom environment should only be English. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, the, yeah. the, the, that, that's more efficient and right. more desirable than using the learners L one yeah, for the I mean, for the for the teaching. I mean, that, that's disagreeable. I, I find, <laughs> I find yeah. that very convenient that that's uh, that's sort of touted quite so much yeah. because yeah. I mean, yeah. for me, it's undeniable that there are so many cases where using the learners L one just speeds up the whole process. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, on a simple level, try to example. But if you're teaching someone the word for table in English. Um, and you know what the word for table is in their mother tongue. It's there is no benefit for you to sort of sit there miming what a table is. Sure, yeah. Just because you're yeah. trying to avoid using their mother tongue, it's better just to sort of tell them what it is and move on to more, yeah, yeah, more, more useful yeah. stuff. And I think it, I think it develops empathy. You know, you're showing that you're familiar with their their L one. You know, yeah. and it's kind of it's a joint endeavor. Language is a joint endeavor, right? Between teacher and learner, it should be at least. That's, yeah, and that's that my be, opinion. And that <laughs> shouldn't have, that should be a separate question to you know teacher talking time and you mm-hmm. know what kind of classroom environment do you want to you know what's the what's the language environment you want to create in the classroom. All of that should have no bearing on whether or not you should occasionally use the students L one mm. if you can. Mm-hmm. You know whether you should use that to to help facilitate the instruction. And I think I think it's uh, it's it's clearly true that that can help a lot of the time. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Um, Something you mentioned the other day um, that maybe the real language learning is, or something you said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, the real language learning is taking place outside of the classroom. And the students that are in front of us, for the for the large part, I've put in words failing here, but I don't think that's true. Um, you know, they're not the real language learners. If, I'm kind of paraphrasing what we were talking yeah. about. Can, can you kind of explain? Yeah, what? so this is, I mean, this is the idea that 
the, the so most most really successful language learners I know tend not to take lessons. They tend not to go to group classes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be, be more accurate to say they tend not to go to group classes in language schools. Mm-hmm. They they probably they may very well take lessons. It's likely to be kind of one on one lessons with a teacher. So I always felt that in my time in in the language classroom, I would um, I would never meet. I tend not to meet the rather. I'm trying to find a nice, a, a politically correct way to put this. But the, the language students, the general profile of language students that you'll meet in your classroom is on the on the lower end in terms of accomplishment because the really people who actually go out there and are super motivated, learn for themselves. They'll figure out how to do it by themselves, mm. and so they're, they're probably not going to come to your to your group lessons. And and so what that means is you you are by virtue of being the teacher in a in a classroom there you have got you're dealing with a group of people who haven't figured it out yet mm-hmm. if you can mm-hmm. put it like that you know they've got some they've they've got they, they they need to go through they need to find success and what that means for them with language learning so you've got to, yeah I think that's a kind of a, yeah it's just a, that was just an, an observation that I remember mm-hmm. making very early on in um in my in my teaching teaching career yeah i see i I mean i hesitate to uh, use word terms like learner autonomy i'm not a big fan of that that term but um do you think like a large part of our teaching or even the majority of what language teachers should do in the classroom should be to instruct learners how to sustain their learning elsewhere this is a really difficult question because because you've got so many factors at play i mean the so like in an ideal world all other things being equal i would say that the main if I'm teaching in a classroom, I'd see my main job as almost counselling students uh, on what they've done in the previous week at home, and they're setting them setting them up for the week to come. So, like, what are you going to be doing the rest of the time? We're here for one hour. We can't do much in that hour, but what are you mm. going to do for the other seven days when you're at home? Okay. So, like, that's the big that's the big prize that there for for students is like, what can you do at home in your own time? Because in theory, they could they could spend you know two or three hours a day practicing the, the language and that's mm. how they're going to learn when we when we when we, when you make progress in a language it's not when you're sat in a classroom listening it's when you're speaking with somebody in the language practicing it or else getting getting input you're reading or listening in the target language like that's the meat and bones of it mm. and so in, in an ideal world the, i think the, the the role of the teacher should be just to kind of facilitate the language learning that's going on outside the classroom but as we all know that the students don't have two or three hours a night to sit and mm-hmm. uh, and practice, and so that's the reality that you're dealing with. People come to the classroom and, and they think, okay, I'm paying my money, I'm having my lesson now, and this is my English time for the week, and so whatever I do has to happen in in this lesson. Okay, I might do five minutes homework uh, if you if you really force me to, mm-hmm. but basically that's all you've got to work with. And so if if all you do is kind of counsel them during during that class time, then you run the risk of actually not not giving them yeah the, the one hour yeah. of english practice a week that they might <laughs> that they might get from you mm-hmm. you know so it might be the case that you know you've only got that class time that's the only time in the week the students are going to use to have any exposure or practice with english and so you know you kind of is it not better to make the best of a of a difficult situation so it's like this tr- this kind of trade off and i guess mm. this is something that has to vary from you you have to read your students for this you know you have to figure out what what it, what are they able to do? How motivated are they? What kind of time have they got available? 
and uh, it can only be a case by case thing. Yeah, yeah sure. but in gen- yeah. but in general, I think the principle is that we, the more you can. Now, I always remember my my piano teacher at university always said to me, "My job as a teacher is to get you to a point where you don't need me anymore." And I always I always remembered that, and I always thought, "Well, that's exactly what we should do as language teachers. Mm. We should be training our students." to study in such a way that they know what works for them. So they just go off and do that and they don't need you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of brings me to my next question, actually. Um, so you, you make, well, you currently make videos online, not, not, not exclusively, but you do a number of other different things. What, what yeah. kind of things do you do at the moment? Like you, the videos, obviously. And... Yeah. So, so I have a website, which is called, I will teach you a language and it's, it's probably the worst website name in the world but but people it seems to stick in people's memory so i guess to that extent it, it's i guess it, it has it the, works. i guess it has all the key part, parts that people would find that on the internet well i, I mean yeah it is it is what it is i, I couldn't think of a, of a website name so i, I just uh, i just came i just came up with this mm-hmm. um and um so i started off um basically writing blog writing articles about language learning and then i started making videos as well um speaking different languages and things like that and uh, so I still do that to this day. I, so I, the website, we publish articles, we, um, I make videos, and then we've the other big element that we've introduced recently is books. So we have a series of published books available at fine bookshops everywhere. And um, <laughs> We'll provide a link to that. Yeah, and, uh, and, then, and, and then courses and other language learning material as well. So it's, it's kind of um, morphed into, this, uh, into a kind of publishing company, really. Right, okay. And who, who would you say your main main audiences when when you're talking to people through your camera yeah who do you have in mind who what kind of person so it is generally english native english speakers mm-hmm. who are learning their first foreign language okay right. so that okay. and that's again there, there is there is everybody under the sun from non-native speakers learning their 10th we have we like it's all across the board but in general who i'm trying to help is someone who is you know for example um they've they 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 reach their you know midway point in their life they think oh you know i never did learn italian mm-hmm. so let's learn italian but how am i going to do it mm. that's sort of what i what i try to give so okay. so, it's, so it's fairly um it's i try to kind of straddle that that ground between um between catering for speaking to someone who's pretty novice at language learning mm-hmm. but whilst also trying to give advice that is actually not just fluff I see, yeah. but it's actually yeah. based on yeah. on the on real world experience. The trouble is that the real world, the stuff that really works, tends to be quite hard work. Mm. So you've, you've got to sometimes, I see, yeah. you know, paint yeah. that in different ways. And you do you bring some, um, you obviously bring some theory from your your teaching background. Yeah. Um, how do you kind of present those theories? Like, what do you have? How, it's always how do you evolving. Kind of go around them. It's and... always evolving because, like, you don't want to. Um, you don't want to use words like learner autonomy, which, which you mentioned a, mm-hmm. a while ago, in general, simply because like, that's very handy kind of meta language for teachers, but it doesn't mean anything to to your average language learner. So in that sense, I would try to, uh, I would use language like, look, it's more important what you do by yourself at home than what your teacher teaches you, mm-hmm. because that's what you're going to learn. Okay. So I try to kind of use everyday language to to, to communicate this stuff. But it, yeah, it's very much based on... Um, on on theory because the you know the the TEFL world does such a fantastic job of um of uh, kind of categorizing different points yeah 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 I see and can you um can you kind of point to any particular stories or kind of testimonies from your your viewers of um 
something that they've taken on from you that they've said this really worked for me yeah well this well this so i mean there's so much but i think um i think the oh, what could i what could i point to one of the things that i think has been most helpful for people is the so i have, I have some books of short stories and i i what what i realized early on was that people were as a general rule they have a bias towards study rather than actually using the language so mm-hmm. people would sooner sit down with a textbook and turn to the next page yeah. and learn the grammar rule that's there than <clears throat> sit down with a book and try and read it, like authentic material in the language mm-hmm. and i think part of the reason that gap exists is because it's difficult to find engaging material that is graded to a level that's suitable for you mm-hmm. because if you try and pick if you pick up war and peace in Spanish and you try and read that as a beginner, you're going to have a hard time. Mm-hmm. And so what I've tried to do is create material that is, I mean, I guess it's best described as a sort of A2 ish level. So it kind of, it's sort of straddles that A2, B1, you know, the, where, about the point where the intermediate plateau starts to kick in. And so it's for people who have been learning for a certain amount of time. They're not, they're sort of getting, reaching the point where they're getting stuck and I try to introduce interesting material for them that allows them to start consuming content in the language. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote these books of short stories where they are specifically designed to kind of let lower the lessen the burden. Mm-hmm. So the so the chapters are shorter. The sentences are. We try to avoid using complex sentences. We go easy on the relative clauses and the, the vocabulary is is kind of graded, while also. Um, while well, also trying to tell a good story and actually provide, you know, we have illustrations and yeah. stuff. Okay. So, so basically, it, we I try to create stuff that is that someone would look at and think, "Hey, I really want to read that," and then actually deliver it in such a way that it's they can actually access it, even as a relative beginner. Mm-hmm. And so, and and in these books, I, I kind of I write about um, the I have something in these books that I call the. the five-step reading process where i'm basically telling them not to not to stop and translate every word but mm-hmm. you know read for gist first okay. before okay. reading for detail that's yeah, basically that's the message yeah and um and and people just aren't they're not used to doing that you know and but they they they, they kind of read the message that that's what they should do and so they start reading this 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 story and they read right through to the end because that's what i've just told them to do and then they go back and they read it again and they play the audio and listen and read. And they're like, oh my God, I can actually understand this. Yeah. I'm actually reading in French now. This is amazing. And it's, um, it's, it's not exactly rocket science for a, an experienced mm. teacher, mm. but in the, you know, out in the, in the, in, in the real world, this stuff is not really readily available. If you don't have a teacher to kind of hand select this stuff for you, mm. um, then it's, uh, it's difficult to get your hands on. So that's, um, that's, so that's basically the angle that I'm taking with the stuff that I'm that I'm producing, and mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, it's just giving people a, a a way in, if you like, and that's what yeah, yeah. That, that's and then that that then we talked about confidence before. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the genesis of confidence then, because once you realise you can do it, you can read, and you can enjoy material in the target language, well, then that spurs you on to do to do more of that. I oh, see. So yeah, yeah. One final question. Sure. <laughs> Do you and kind of a, I guess a critical question, kind of to end on. Um, yeah. Do you think that there's a risk that some people watching the videos um, from Polyglots um, will kind of overlook the learning strategies that perhaps work best for them, and they'll try and kind of replicate 
what they're kind of being advised on or told to do. Um, is there enough kind of built-in kind of reflection, I guess, is what I'm kind of... Yeah, well, this, is, there, this is a great question. I saw, um, I saw Scott Thornby refer to this as... Um, how did he put it? He said something along the lines of um, that people that, that because polyglots have a natural um, what's the word a natural uh, facility for, for, mm-hmm. for learning they tend to say well I did it like this therefore this is the best method right, right. right. so that's yeah. sort of what you're, what, what you're getting yeah, at, right? Right. and I think that's, that's yeah. absolutely a danger mm. for sure and um, and again this is sort of the different you know someone one guy will sort of will tell you okay this is what you should do just do exactly like this and then someone else will say well, this is what worked for me, but 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 you know you have to find your own way. Mm-hmm. What I see is, what I found is that when you read about language learning, there's so much conflicting advice, and people tend to shroud everything in so many caveats. You know, because it, it, if you take your sort of typical academic paper on um, on on language learning, well, so this may be the case, but this also may be true, and you mm-hmm. have to consider this as well. It's very very you know just caveats till the cows come home. Mm-hmm. What your average guy on the street wants is just someone to say to him, do this. Mm-hmm. And it's not because, and, and, and he understands, he or she understands that, okay, I, I understand this might not be gospel truth, this might not be the only way to learn language, but actually I prefer that you just lay it out for me mm. because then that gives me something to grab onto and try out and um, and you know something that I can, I can really apply. Yeah. So yeah. certainly the feedback that, that I've had, people really appreciate that because if you don't have that, then what are you left with? You're left with the kind of um, collective um, body of academic work on language, second language acquisition from the last mm-hmm. 30, 40 years or so, yeah. which doesn't tell us very much about how to actually yeah. learn languages. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's difficult. I, I, I try to, I think about that a lot. And what I, what I generally say is like, here is based on all, based on the people I tend to meet and what I, what I see as people's struggles um, this is what I would I would suggest you do, and uh, you know in my case this is it just follows a I'm I'm very much like into the uh, into input based methodologies and comprehensible input for most people is a really really good way to think about mm-hmm. getting their language input their, their language content, and um, and so I'll say look this is this is how I talk about language learning, take it or leave it. But if you like the idea of this, then here's exactly what I suggest you do. Okay, right. And I find that I find that that again because people kind of self-select, right? They say mm-hmm. some people like the way I talk about it. Other people will um, hear some guy talking about how he just gets on a plane and grabs a phrase book and then goes down the market and mm-hmm. like does Tarzan speak until he's fluent, <laughs> sort of thing. People gravitate towards different, yeah, yeah, different yeah. methods, different personalities. Uh, but I think, in, in generally speaking, it's more there's, there's a lot to be said for actually just sort of planting your flag in the sand and saying look try this and see if it works for you mm-hmm. yeah, because then yeah. you can give it a go and then you can iterate from there and that gives you more of a chance of figuring out what works for you personally i think mm-hmm. and that's really what it's about because once you know what works for you then yeah the sky's Definitely, the limit yeah. great yeah and i think there's yeah there's absolutely great value in hearing your successful language learners stories as well so yeah thank yeah. you for sharing today my pleasure thank you good questions as well thank you Okay, we hope you enjoyed that interview, and thank you once again to Ollie for talking with us. As always, we're very happy to hear from listeners. You can contact us by email at teflology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at teflology, 
And we also have a Facebook page. Thanks. And we'll be back soon with a new regular episode. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you do enjoy the podcast, then you're going to love some of the email courses that I've created. These are completely free email courses, which are written specifically for different languages and different levels. I've spent years writing these things. So whether you are a intermediate Spanish learner or a French beginner or Japanese advanced, whatever it may be, I've got email courses that give you some of my best tips for learning those languages at different levels. So whether you're struggling with how to get started, whether you want to know how to understand native speakers when they're talking really quickly at you, whether you want to get better at learning grammar, I've got stuff for you that I send out completely free over email. If you'd like to get these tips, then please go to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash tips. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash tips, T-I-P-S, and I'll get them sent out to you right away.